I'm your host, David Frost. This is my strategic forecast where you get common sense market analysis. Today is Tuesday, March 19, 2019. We're looking at a daily chart of the SPY or Spider, which is the proxy for the S&P 500. Today we had a gap higher, and then we had somewhat of a crap out, but at the end of the day, they still closed above yesterday's high. They did the thing at the end of the day where they run the market up in the last 10 or 20 minutes of the day to close at that price level, but that's once again telling us that it's important that the market closes at certain prices, which leaves us in certain positions. The market still is in a bullish position. Very hard to argue that. There'll be some folks out there that want to call today a reversal and all that stuff. And that's not to say we might be down tomorrow or the next day. Anything is possible. But as long as we stay above 280.40, we know that's the case. We know that's bullish for the market. And another Friday close above 280.40, that's also bullish for the market and will likely send prices higher yet again. If you reel back the tape a little bit all the way to yesterday, what did we say one of the bogeys was? The first bogey on the downside was really what? I'll bet if you go back and listen, you'll find out that it was somewhere in the neighborhood of where we found low today. Here's another thing that we discussed. The market's not going to get very far while we're waiting on Kabuki Theater to play out. What's Kabuki Theater? The Fed. Remember, the Fed is meeting today, Tuesday, and they also meet Wednesday. They have a Federal Reserve interest rate announcement or FOMC interest rate announcement Wednesday afternoon. And then I believe there's also a press conference by the chair of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell. So the market can certainly whip around tomorrow afternoon, but leading up into that, generally speaking, and if you go back, don't even take my word for it, just go back and look at the charts on days where we lead up to the Fed announcement, the Tuesday before and the Wednesday. Not a lot happens on Tuesday and Wednesday leading up to the Fed announcement. Market goes up, it goes down, it goes back and forth. What does it do? It banters back and forth. Not every time, but a lot of the time. It's the 80-20 rule again. 80% of the time, the market banters back and forth Tuesday and Wednesday leading up to the Fed. So what's the market doing now? It's bantering back and forth. However, when you look under the hood, there's stuff going on. We're going to talk about all of it in this video. Before we do, let me pause and thank everybody for posting comments, interacting underneath the videos each and every night. I love the interaction, and you know I love the banter back and forth. In addition, if it's worthy, hit the thumbs up button on the video and share the video with anybody that you think can benefit from this information. Okay, back to business. Now, what do we do from here? What's the likely scenario? Well... Bantering back and forth leading up to the Fed. The Fed is a great excuse to move the market. So if that's going to happen, and that's not a guarantee it will, but it can, the Fed tomorrow afternoon can certainly move the market. Doesn't really matter what they say, but it can be an excuse for the market to move. We can debate whether the Fed moves or doesn't move the market on any one particular day, whether they do or they don't. The market moves the next day, blame it on the Fed. All that stuff is a bunch of kabuki theater nonsense. It really doesn't matter. What matters is 
Where is price going? If price starts to push higher, what's going to happen? Again, we're into this area where we had this rodeo day where the market went down a tremendous amount. The high was almost 287 and the low was 278. That's a tremendous day. Inside of that day, there are going to be resistance areas. However, you can't tell me today and I can't tell you tomorrow which one of those resistance areas is going to work exactly when and to what extent. This was all one day's worth of activity. So my advice for traders out there looking for an area where the market might make a top. Maybe it was today. Maybe it's next Tuesday. Maybe it's somewhere in between. My zone is up between 287 and 290. If I find price up in that zone sometime within the next couple of weeks, and remember, we started talking about that on the weekend video this past weekend. We're looking for in the neighborhood of a couple of weeks away. Maybe it's three. Maybe it's one. Maybe it's the next day. Anything goes we're looking for signs and a signal of a trend change. Where do you find that? You find that in the course at Lazy E-Mini Trader. So if I can get time to match up with price in my zone, 287 to 290, sometime within the next couple of weeks, that's where I'm likely willing to take a shot on the short side of this market. Can it be wrong? Can the market blast off to new highs? It can I don't suspect it will, at least on the first shot. We'll see what happens if we get up to those price areas. What's going on on the hourly chart? So we made a high this morning, sold off almost into the end of the day, minus the last 20 minutes worth of trading. You could call it a gap in crap. Other than the fact that we remain above 280.40, above the 50, 100, and 200 period moving averages, we're sitting right around, we are above it, but right around the 20 period moving average. In light of all this, we're still in the uptrend. There's going to be down days along the way. Today was a day where the S&P 500 was actually down one-third of one point. That's not even a down day. So on the chart, from an hourly perspective, it looks like a gap in crap. At the end of the day, the market, meaning the S&P 500, went nowhere. But that's not the whole tale. That's not the tale of the tape. What about the 120-minute chart? Is there any information that's different from yesterday that we can get from today's activity, specifically the close? And the answer is... No, because we still finished basically in the same place we were yesterday. There's no change on the chart. So basically today was a net zero gain. No gain in price, no gain in information. I mentioned there's other things going on under the hood. The IWM is one of them, my favorite market leading indicator. Now this is a different picture altogether. This morning, the IWM looked like it was trying to break out above the 20 period moving average, looked like it wanted to start closing hourly above the breakdown candle high, and then we reversed. Here's the intraday 10 minute chart. Just to put it in perspective, the beginning of the day is over here. This is the gap open, and then we sold off. We tried to rally again in the IWM and sold off, and they gave up the ghost more so to a greater magnitude than they did in the SPY. This is why I like to use the IWM as a leading indicator. It was leading this morning. It was also leading in the afternoon, closing poorly, closing in a different position than the SPY. It's of note. It's definitely a puzzle piece. 
It's on the table. Let's look at some other IWM charts. The hourly chart. Where we found support today from an hourly perspective is an obvious area. Right into the convergence of those moving averages, into where these pivots are down here. That would be a natural area that we would find support in any market on any chart. Intraday, for at least a little while, that's just a natural area where the market would find some semblance of support. Let's do a compare and contrast. So let's compare the IWM and see where it is on the chart, on the hourly chart, relative to the moving averages and anything else that you can look at. Then we look over at the spider. Which one is in a better position? The S&P 500 is in a better position. The IWM may be saying that things aren't as rosy as the S&P folks would like us to believe. It's a puzzle piece. It's on the table. 120-minute chart. Again, slightly different position than the spider. Now I want to show you something because you can do two things. We can say, this is really a bull flag pattern that's going to break to the upside. I could do that and you could buy the story, right? Sure. Sounds logical. Sounds like common sense. But I can also do something else. I can do this, okay? And I can say this is a bear flag, bear wedge pattern, call it whatever you want, that this will play out to the downside until and unless you're able to close up and above this area. Guess what? Both are true. So where are we? In the IWM, when you look at this 120-minute chart, and you could do the same thing on any chart, just happen to be looking at this one, you're really in no man's land. You're in the middle of this range right here. We're right smack in the middle. We're either going this way or we're going this way. But based on this chart and the fact that I can make a case for both directions, you can't really do anything in the IWM right now. At least for me, at this point, it would be a guess on which way it would go out of exactly where it is right now. To me, I, the way I look at it is we're in the middle of a range. Now, you can narrow the range, of course. There's many different ranges on a chart. This is also a range. So that's a different range than the one I just drew out before. So maybe we go from here and we bounce around or banter. I, I obviously like that word now. Banter back and forth here for a while. That's also possible. Just pointing out the various possibilities you're getting in my head. When I look at a chart, what I'm doing is I'm unpacking everything that's inside my head and I'm essentially just doing a data dump what's on the chart into your head. So now be careful because you don't want to get what I got. Back to the daily chart of the IWM. What does this really tell us? It tells us the same thing that the IWM chart has been telling us for several, several days. Until and unless... It's able to close above the breakdown candle high, and it all begins with hourly closes first. Until and unless that begins to take place, nothing's doing. It's bearish. That's a puzzle piece. It's on the table. Keep this in mind. Look at both sides of the coin. What's the easiest way for a market to get above a certain resistance area? For the market to gap above that area. Just keep that in the back of our minds Look where the IWM is. If you see a gap higher, you bring up the daily chart and you say, look what's going on. I know what's happening. You look at the other charts, you have price targets. This is the way we put it all together, piece by piece. I give you as much information as I can. And then based on what's happening in real time during the trading day, at least you're armed with something of substance. You're armed with stuff, believe me, that most traders just don't have.
What's going on over in the transportation department? It's the same department as the IWM. The chart looks almost the same. So it's the same story. And with the transports, until and unless we can really break out above these highs, these highs were in February, until and unless we can break out above these highs, there's really nothing doing. Why does that different than the IWM? The IWM price was right close by. Why is it different in the transports? Because the transports weekly chart looks different. Look at the weekly chart. We can go up, but look what we end up going up into. Another big breakdown candle high. So it's very unlikely, unless the market is absolutely screaming higher, and in my estimation, the S&P would have to be at new highs in order for the transports to start getting above 11,000 on a weekly closing basis. That's a lot of points from where we are. Not to say the transports can't go higher from here, but that's a tall order. 11,000 from 10,300, 10,200, where we are right now. This all would have to happen rather quickly if the transports are going to play some catch-up. Look, the transports are my favorite canary in the coal mine. They were down 137 points today, 1.3%. So you have my two favorite market-leading indicators down. The IWM was down, the transports were down, and you had the S&P 500 flat. You had the Dow down 26 or 7 points. That's flat. That's a rounding error. And you had the NASDAQ composite basically flat as well. Another rounding error. We've been here before. We've read this book before. In fact, this isn't our first rodeo. We understand what divergences mean. The way we take them here is as a warning sign. That goes for the transports and the IWM. It's a warning sign in the up or the down direction. It's a warning that it's likely the rest of the markets are going to follow suit pretty soon. However, keep in mind the trick, trap, fool, and frustrate crew will likely make it look like something else is developing. So we can certainly see the S&P 500 and the Dow and the NASDAQ rise to higher prices. We don't necessarily have to see those higher prices in the transports and the IWM. And if we don't, if they get stymied up above, that's going to be really a big tell on what the next major move is across the broader market. If, in fact, the IWM and the transports play catch-up and they begin really gaining speed to the upside, that's a different story altogether. We'll make that assessment if it happens. But either way, we're prepared for both scenarios. I mentioned this the other day. I think it's worth mentioning again. Let's just go through a hypothetical. Let's say the S&P 500, Dow, NASDAQ Composite are all on the rise we get into the hot zone in the S&P 500, in the SPY, 287 to 290. Let's just say that happens for argument's sake. Let's also say at the same time, the transports are up in this neighborhood and they really don't go much higher than that. Maybe they go a little higher. Maybe they don't even get there. Let's just say that's the case. That would be a big divergence and that would really support the case for at least a short-term top across the markets. Again, that's all hypothetical stuff, and it has to come in my price, 
my time. It all has to line up together for that scenario to play out. Again, it never kind of works out the way you map it out in advance. However, we do it day by day, so we'll have a good idea. We're looking for signs and a signal of a trend change. Let's not have a preconceived notion of what price that might come from. Maybe it came from a price from today. Maybe it will come tomorrow. Maybe it will come a week from now. What's going on over in the tech space? So we have an interesting candle today. This is a doji candle. Everybody's going to discuss the doji candle in the queues. So here's what happened today. We filled a gap. We filled the gap that we've been discussing that hadn't been filled until today. We closed below the gap, but we filled the gap. But we're hovering around the gap. So be careful how you look at this candle. We're hovering at the gap. If that gap was ultra important from a resistance standpoint, would we or would we not have had more of a reaction away from that gap? Here's an hourly chart. What type of reaction did we have away from that gap? We filled the gap and then we came back to fill a gap. Anything bearish about that? Not just yet. That's normal garden variety market behavior. What's going on inside the numbers? Let's take a peek and see the pre-market morning notes. Basically, what we were discussing this morning was that it sounds like a broken record. We were gapping higher at the time, and it seemed like the same routine over and over and over again. The futures were up overnight, and the grind higher continues. I reiterated my point about a destination. It seemed like they're still headed toward a destination. And then we want to remind ourselves that the Fed had their two-day meeting that starts today and ends tomorrow with the interest rate decision announcement. So no change is expected from the Fed's perspective. But in the meantime, markets tend to float around in anticipation of the conclusion of the meeting. That's the same as banter back and forth. Then down at the bottom, I go on to say in the spirit of inching higher day after day, it would make sense for the ES to reach into the 2860s today. Remember, the trend is your friend until it's over. We didn't get into the 2860s, but we did push pretty darn close. Scrolling up a little bit until and unless the sellers show up with some volume behind their intentions, the path of least resistance in the market is generally higher. What's the bogey on the downside? ES 2836. What I'm indicating here is I don't want to see hourly closes below 2836. That would hand the ball back to the bears. You'll notice where we close the day, right around that number. Kind of funny how that works, isn't it? If they're going to continue the same routine, we could see an early shakeout of the weak hands, then a push higher to test or exceed the overnight highs. Just something to watch out for. They do that. We had no morning gap trades on the board. There were not a lot of stocks on the move this morning. There was a handful, and it was a little bit frustrating. Nothing really worked out, at least from where I sit. There was a couple that came close. We'll take a look at the charts. I'll point out a couple of things, because it still does make sense when you see the importance of the numbers. And when I say come close, I mean, like, really close. And then we always give the index important numbers and you can jot these down and see if any of these numbers do you think are valuable. For example, are these important numbers, depending on which direction the market is headed, are they good support and resistance numbers? Can you use these on a day-to-day basis? I would suggest taking a look at the numbers, writing them down, 
going back to a chart, whether you want to use the SPY, you want to use the S&P E-mini futures, go look at one of those charts and see what happened at these numbers. Back on a 10-minute chart of the spider real quick, I want to point something out. Remember the morning notes. Float around, shake out the weak hands, test the overnight highs. The overnight highs in the S&P E-mini futures are up in this area. This is the S&P exchange traded fund SPY that tracks the S&P 500. So during the day, this happened mid-morning right up until about noontime. And then the market rolled over after that. Putting the same thing in perspective using the S&P E-mini futures contract, right? We made a run up into midday. Well, they do. Shake out the weak hands. Tried to run them higher. They failed. Came back down. So a couple of the stocks came close today. A couple of heartbreakers one opened below the first target, so there's nothing doing there. And then two actually came really, really close and took off without touching the target. This one, BITA, the target was $16.30. The low here was $16.39, and you can see what happened later in the day. Stock actually made a high of $17.93. We missed the target by $0.09. Cents. It's a heartbreaker to miss the target, but the reason I point it out is the importance of these numbers. Some targets we miss, some targets go through by 10, 20, 30, 50 cents, whatever it is. It's the importance of these general areas. A stock or a market is headed to a destination. Once it gets to the destination, it's likely going to go in the other direction. That happens 80% of the time using the 80-20 rule. The question is... Do you have the right support or resistance area? And that's what my job is, at least from an inside-the-numbers perspective. Here's another one, Fidelity National, FIS. This is a heartbreaker. The low is 105.76. The low on the page from inside the numbers, 105.75. We've all seen this happen before. It happens from time to time. Look what happened after that. Stock takes off. It's at 107.41 within an hour and a half. Not pointing out the missed trade, I'm pointing out the fact that these stocks or these charts or these markets, whatever it is you're trading, they're heading to a destination. And if you have the important numbers right, it's a pretty high probability they turn around and go in the other direction, at least for a period of time, creating the trade opportunity. How do you find these numbers? They're taught inside the course at Lazy E-Mini Trader. Everything I go over here is expanded upon in the course. Getting back in our lane, looking at the XLF down at the financial district, can this be classified as a reversal candle? Yeah, technically, almost. Looks like one, but from where I sit, we closed above yesterday's low. We didn't really have any kind of volume to speak of. In fact, the volume was even less than the 90-day average volume. So if you were seeing a real reversal in this, don't you think the volume would have been much higher? Don't you think we would have closed below yesterday's low? I think so. And here's another thing. So here's a gap. So the gap is 27.14. Did we fill the gap? No, we did not. The high today was 27.10. Are they going to leave that gap alone? Well, there's two things to that. A, I don't think so. B, if they do, that's extremely bearish. Missing that by four cents, trading away and not being able to fill that gap, if that were to take place like that, that's bearish. That would be a puzzle piece. That would be on the table. 
How about this? How about we take a peek over at the bond market? In this case, I'm using the TLT, not for any reason. I just selected it. So what do we see? We're above all the moving averages. I can easily make the case that this is a bull flag pattern in development, right? We can have an up move, and we can have this flag right here. And as long as we stay above the moving averages, this will normally result in another move to the upside. Now, if in fact we're moving higher in the TLT, that would mean rates are moving lower. Why would the prices of bonds be rallying and the price of rates be dropping? If that were to take place, does that take place during a healthy stock market or an unhealthy stock market? Let's look at it a different way. This is the actual 30-year interest rate. Now, this chart looks the flip side or the opposite of the TLT because it is. Not exactly. The TLT is slightly different than just a 30-year rate, but it's close enough. It's below all the moving averages. This is telling us that the rates want to drop down farther. Why would that happen? I'll leave you with this. The Fed is in the same pickle it was 10 years ago. Those of you that have been around and were around during the financial crisis that really began with the housing bubble, really way back in 2006, 2007, the market collapsed in 2008 into early 2009. In fact, we had that March anniversary we discussed, the March low of 2009, and it's been a straight line up ever since. But the Fed was in a pickle back then based on all the liquidity that it pumped into the system. At the time, they weren't worried about how they get it back out. They figured over time, they'll get it back out. It's still not out. They're still in the pickle. And that's why you're seeing some disconnect between the bond market, the stock market, and all these things will filter themselves out one way or the other. That's the way markets work. I will leave you on that note. I'm David Frost, my strategic forecast. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Common Sense Market Analysis. My Strategic Forecast is hosted by David Frost. Subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app, and please visit MyStrategicForecast.com for more information. My Strategic Forecast is common sense market analysis. Thank you.